0: So on Netflix, when you have the show selected, it shows now a little montage of scenes from it and little music or whatever, uh, just when you're on the menu. And for Deep Space Nine, they were showing all scenes from like the first season. And it was really striking how far, I don't know, how far this journey feels. Yeah. Especially seeing, for example... uh. Ben, for whose, whose physical look has changed so drastically over the course of the series, or someone like Jadzia, who's turned into Esri. I don't know. This, this, certainly, there was a lot of growth in TNG and all of that. The characters do end in somewhat different places, but it was very impressive how much things have changed in these seven years. And I guess what I really like about DS9 is that sense of progression and change. Yeah, I... It's. I guess that's a weird place to start from. No, that- it's
1: not. I, I mean, because this podcast, I think, you know, we're talking about what you leave behind, the, the series finale of, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And, you know, this is another ending point and beginning point for us. You know, we, we did this a year and a half ago with TNG, and now we're doing it with, with DS9. And, I, I mean, I think that for me, you know, I enjoyed watching TNG again, I, I think that the show is definitely more than the sum of its parts. But it did not have the emotional impact mm-hmm. that the end of Deep Space Nine did. Primarily, you're right, because this is a very special show. It had characters that grew, changed, had really, really strong relationships. The The depth of the writing, the the depth of the emotional connection that that I think you and I both have to this show is... Making it very difficult to to say goodbye to it, and you know, I, I don't think that you know. For example, I you know, I watch Netflix on my Apple TV, so it's not as fancy as as yours. Yeah. But it when the sh- when the show ended, this was the first episode of Deep Space Nine, I think maybe the first episode of Star Trek that I've watched for this podcast where I um, let the entire credits run, and when the credits ended. And Netflix kicked me back to the Deep Space Nine select screen, it was on Emissary, the yeah. pilot. And that, that felt very strange. Yeah. And
0: especially if you think that there's a cyclical time theory, which we can go <laughs> into. But no, but Yeah. It's and especially because at the end of one of the things you said uh to me before we before I watched it was that you like DS9 as a better series, but all good things, the finale of TNG was a better episode maybe or yeah i yeah in in, in turn i mean just on the level of you could watch all good things without watching another episode of next generation you need about five minutes of explanation who q is and that's probably all you need from
1: there uh well i think uh not to cut you off but i i think that you know what i mean by that is is you know all good things is a Much better self Mm. self contained constructed episode of television. What you leave behind is obviously not that. You know, it is the culmination of you know explicitly a Mm -hmm. serialization arc in the past. um, You know, back half of this season. Uh, You know, even when Deep Space Nine was not heavily serialized, it still was a serialized show and. That is the reason why I don't feel like it's as well constructed an episode.
0: Yeah, it's the la- It's the ending of eight episodes and more importantly, seven years.
1: But it's but it's completely satisfying. I think.
0: I also think that all good things was a much more thematic resolution of the next generation. Right. Uh, so, Encounter at Farpoint opens with Q testing Picard and th- therefore humanity and. You know, humanity is about to take that next step into further into the galaxy, and is it ready? Are they, you know, morally developed? And at all good things is that final test and the understanding that, yes, humanity is re- ready to transcend its origin. So it's a very nice thematic capper, and I thought what you leave behind, while it certainly resolves many of the themes of DS9, is much more of a plot
1: resolution. It is, and it's also because there really was no plot to resolve in all good things. Yeah. you know that—that's kind of the the I think the interesting difference between the two shows. You know, I don't want to turn this into a, a, an episode that is just us comparing TNG and DS9. No, although, but... you know, we will talk about you know Deep Space Nine's kind of um, you know place in the franchise as as you see it so far. But w- what what I think is is instructive is to look at TNG as an episode where at the end of it. All the characters are still on the Enterprise. Yeah. It is the not reset button, but it's the promise of more adventures to come. Whereas Deep Space Nine places a lot of the characters in in very different circumstances. I mean, at the yeah. end of the episode, at the end of the series, uh, Cisco has gone off to 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 be with the prophets. Kira is now in charge of Deep Space Nine. You know, Nog is now a lieutenant you know, Miles O'Brien and, and his family are now on Earth. Yeah. The, you know, there's a lot of changes and it feels it feels true to the show because that's what the show was about. It was about changes in character.
0: Yes. It is the next generation ends with not only them reaffirming their family unit bonds, but also further inviting Picard into that. Again, remember it ends with Picard finally joining the poker game and finally uh being on that family level, finally allowing himself to be on the family level with the crew. And he, all of the pairs are kind of broken up at the end of DS9, and yet there, it is as much of an affirmation of the family in that, you know, Cisco's big speech, we're always going to leave a very important part of ourselves on DS9. For all of them, no matter what happens, no matter where their lives go, they will always remember their bonding with each other very fondly yeah you know Bashir and O'Brien either of them needs a favor till the end of time they've got it you know they are but I I think it is very poignant that the series ends with even though and it sounds almost cheesy to say it aloud but at the same time very important even though we're far apart we are still have a connection to each other and that is you know distance cannot break that
1: yeah, and and I and interestingly enough, I, I think that I would be much more interested in a season eight of DS Nine than I would a season eight of TNG hmm. because, in a sense, the end of TNG was just another episode, and if there had been an eighth season, they would all still be on the Enterprise D, and it just would be more adventures of of that crew. Yes. Whereas Deep Space Nine, I'm very intrigued to find out, uh, you know, when Cisco is going to come back you know what is going to happen with with Kira what's going to happen with Bajor because the big yes. plot line of of the series that was established in the pilot Ben Sisko coming to DS9 to bring Bajor into the Federation well he failed at that it didn't happen and so where does that go where yeah. what's happening on the Klingon Empire now you know where where is Cardassia uh and so there's all these kind of open questions that you know i think the show could have gone for another season and it would have been I think it would have been very different, but it, it it also would have been very in keeping with the show. It
0: does allow itself for much more spec. Well, the speculation would be further episodes of Next Generation would largely be what new things are is the crew going to encounter? You know what? Because all of the
1: and as we saw from the seventh season of, of TNG, that would have been really diminishing returns of course, because they, of course. they they were running out of ideas.
0: <laughs> um, but, but in in general, that show is about revealing character through what they encounter, and while DS Nine had plenty of that, it was more the characters and their political views were driving the plot around. Yeah. Uh, it, the storytelling, I guess, was more organic in that way. And so, yes, there are you know, while there are an infinite number of things that TNG crew could encounter, we've learned more or less all we're going to learn about this group of people. Um, there are, as, as you say, each. Uh, Every ending is a beginning. Cardassia may be very, de- very. C- Cardassia is decimated. Cardassia is in a very bad position. They are now in the position where, frankly, they will probably be the ones needing Federation assistance. I mean that there are so many more speculations that I can have. That would be, you know, my thing. Bejor is a shoo-in to be in the Federation now that the war is over. There, you know, what's going to go on in Chronos? What's Worf's life going to be like? There are so many more plots that it naturally doves into
1: yeah and well so this might be a facile question to ask but uh, just to kind of get at the root of of this and to ground this conversation i want to ask you now that you've seen the entirety of the show what do you think this show was about
0: you know it's something that i've been thinking about a lot in terms of our real life political situation and randomly i was playing this one um our role playing game called inquisitor where you know you can pretty much exi- you know you're you're an inquisitor you've got to get the heretics and kind of stuff and you know all these characters are talking about oh god this is god's greatest test to people this is mm-hmm. you know and in a way america under donald trump that is a lot of fundamental tests of whether america is going to fall to this or you know push it aside this is the greatest battle this is the greatest stress this is the greatest Threat. This is, you know, our. Can we still hold on to our soul in the face of our exact opposite? Ah, uh, and I think DS Nine was that test for the Federation. In general, we have the Dominion and a lot more morally gray situations. Situations where there isn't that easy answer. Situations where diplomacy might not really solve the thing. Situations where you might need to go. And how far can you go while still keeping your soul and while still doing the right thing. Again, what Ben cisco does in uh Pale Moonlight, for example, he decides that, yes, this was beyond the pale, but it, it was still necessary, it was still justifiable. But for example, the activities of Section 31 are too 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 beyond that line. Yeah. So I guess this was about the Federation dealing with something which threatened to put it over the line and corrupt it, and how it could still stay the Federation, how it could change the nature of what the Federation is and yet still keep its fundamental character and still win in the end against hopeless odds.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. I, you know, because for me, deep space nine is, is always the, the closest series to, to the original series. I think, you know, in, in terms of how, of how human it is and in terms of, of how it's really about emotion and character as opposed to, uh, you know, weird alien of the week or, or, you know, singularity or anomaly or this or that. and, and, you know, grounding it, Ronald D. Moore had a great quote where he basically said that he thought that Deep Space Nine was was the furthest you could take the concept of Star Trek. Now, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I think he <laughs> might be- That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> and it also sounds like he might be a little full of himself, but I mean, I like Ronald D. Moore, but you know, come on. But at uh, the
0: t- time, you're right. It is, sorry, to.
1: No, fine. No, yeah.
0: It is kind of the next step of from next generation. Again, you couldn't have- this show without Next Generation. This is definitely a response to those. This is, you know, going from if Roddenberry dictate that, well, in the future, people are going to resolve all of their arguments peacefully, and, you know, they're never going to have a fight, and a Federation crew wouldn't ever argue. And this is kind of more looking at the realistic aspects of that kind of a situation. And,
1: you
0: know, no, the Federation would argue. It allows that TNG, even though as it started to get Beyond that, always had that in its d- initial DNA. Uh, DS Nine never had that from the beginning, and so it did allow it to get to a darker place.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you know, uh, he, you know, Moore said that that he said basically DS Nine was uh, let's run the table in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's blow up the concept of what Star Trek is, and you know, let's put it in a stationary place and let's see what happens. And I, I, I think that's right. I think that's yeah. one of the shows strengths and and early on even you can see that you know if you look at the first season of the show uh it it basically was something weird comes out of the wormhole and they have to react to it which was their equivalent of the enterprise is you know off somewhere Mm -hmm. and something weird happens and And they figured out very quickly mm -hmm. that that was not what the show was going to be and that was not where it was going to make its mark because once you are in a stationary place you can have all these recurring characters that just are there and in a way that you can't do with with TNG yeah. and so it it made it really about character in a way that TNG even wasn't
0: yeah 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 because um yeah the re- because TNG obviously did have its recurring back cast but again they were only uh- you have, With the exception of people like Luoxana Troy, who has a very natural reason to be there as often as she does, uh, really only a couple of episodes for each character without it seeming like, why are they always on this ship? Um, again, a character like Garrick could never work in right. Next Generation, but because he has a shop in there, you know, Quark even.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, you could say the only characters that would really fit into that mold on TNG are like Guinan, for example, Yeah. uh, maybe Moth the Barber, you know, people like that. But, you know, it wasn't really the same thing in, in DS9. I mean, DS9 has this sense of place that I think is very rare in the franchise in general.
0: But again, it's named after, and it's going to be interesting to see where Voyager and Enterprise take us because... You know, next generation is not named after the ship. Neither was the original series, obviously. But deep space, it, the place is the, is the main character mm-hmm. in many ways, and so you know the, the, that that's very evocative of it too. Um, I, I, we've talked a bit about Roddenberry. I think you don't quite like Roddenberry. You don't canonize Roddenberry mo- as much as, and the uh, the
1: I think I don't canonize him at all. <laughs>
0: well, the feeling that I get from him and his personal life aside, which, you know, whatever – Um not whatever, but you know what I mean. That's irrelevant for this particular discussion. He certainly had a great thing with creating Star Trek. Star Trek was if slightly ahead of its – maybe slightly ahead of its time, mm-hmm. but kind of of its time. And the again, the early seasons of Next Generation feel retrograde in that way. They feel like they belong to a much earlier era and – it wasn't until again season two and three when he starts to step back from it that it manages to grow and DS Nine, which only has the initial Im- initial world from created Fibrod, and Barry, but none of his direct influence.
1: Uh, yeah, he was he was extremely ill as I yeah. understand by the time that Deep Space Nine was was heavily in development, and uh, he. I mean, he died in in what 1991, and it didn't appear until 1993. So, essentially, I think he only got like the loosest concept for yeah. it. Yeah, and I, you know, I've heard conflicting reports about whether or not he he approved it, quote unquote, or not. But it doesn't even matter at yeah. that point because it was just taking it in a different direction and it was making it, you know, because yeah, it, you have
0: no idea what the, also what he approved in 1991 and then by 1993 right. was phased out quietly.
1: Well, because in the initial conception of the show, it was going to be based on a planet yeah. until they realized that it was going to be way too expensive to shoot an location every week. And, uh, and they would have less control obviously as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause I think that if you look at, if you look at Star Trek, I think that in general, it's better when Roddenberry has as little control (laughs) over it as possible. And I I don't, you're right. I don't, I don't canonize him. I don't think that DS nine does either. And he had a lot of strange ideas about where humanity was going to be in the 24th century that weren't even really there in the 23rd century in TOS. And, it's not that DS9 didn't respect that and I think you see that even in this last episode because these people love each other these people uh, you know have relationships and friendships and they are working together for the common good in good faith and taking everyone at face value but it it was able to ask hard questions about that concept I think primarily because they everyone on the staff loved Star Trek so much.
0: Yeah, I, I I I Deep Space Nine tends to take a much more realistic look at authority in, in that Original series, Kirk is always right. Even when you have episodes like Obsession where he's done incorrect things, you know, Kirk is usually right. What Kirk's decision is, is going to be the best for whatever planet he's on, right? Uh, next Generation, Picard is usually right. Picard is certainly diplomatic and certainly he's able to get his way out. Picard will also, will make mistakes, it is true, but he is also able to learn from them and be better. Uh Deep Space Nine is allowed to make again leaves us with Cisco saying, "I can live with all of this in pale moonlight and wants us to say i'm not really sure if I agree with that or not uh people like Admiral Ross who Cisco you know has officiate his wedding, mm-hmm. is also somebody who's gotten his hands dirty with section thirty one it, it is the Federation guy from Homefront in Paradise Lost who tries to do this coup is doing it for what he believes are the right reasons. Um, it muddies these waters. I think it, it certainly believes that earned authority and respectful authority can exist. Certainly at the end, Damar turns into what we believe is a good leader. Cisco is a good leader. Um, Worf and Martok become the right leaders for, uh, Kronos, people like Kai-Win and Dukat are punished for their short-sightedness and their corruption. Um,
1: well, I, I, I,
0: yeah, yeah, so, I, so I guess it does have a very different view of authority than the others do.
1: Well, yeah, and I think also – I think that's right and I also think that, that what that makes me realize is that at the end of the series – they, you know, most of the characters are in some sort of position of authority, or they always have yeah. some sort of position of authority. You know, Kira is now in charge of, of DS Nine. O'Brien is now a professor at Starfleet Academy. Uh, you know, Worf is now the ambassador to, to um, the Klingon Empire from the Federation.
0: Odo is Odo, going to right. the Odo, Odo's. Odo specifically goes not only to curious people but to teach them, and he is going to have a very strong influence on the Dominion, even if. He's not their de facto leader. Yeah,
1: right. I mean, you can really see that. You know, we 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 promise we'll actually talk about the episode (laughs) at some point, but you know, this is going to kind of be a freewheeling conversation. But I do think that the show knows a lot about Star Trek, is informed by it, but is not beholden to it. I think Mm. you know one of the one of the things that I always find very strange about. The way Star Trek was made in, in the '90s, and, and you know in the early 2000s with with Star Trek Enterprise, you know, it was it Rick Berman really um, was not a Star Trek guy? He was just a uh, producer who got the job and and stayed for a really long time, almost 20 years, and. He, he didn't necessarily I, from all the, Im- from all the impressions and all the sort of like reading between the lines that I've seen, I I don't know that he really bought into Roddenberry's vision of the future, mm. but he protected it very strongly. And I think one of the reasons why DS9 works so well is that it has his stamp on it, the least of any of the shows. Mm. uh it, it, It's, he gets very involved in the franchise later and you know, there. I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast, but there's a point where uh, I, I think it was Brian Braga or someone else who basically said like, "Well, Rick Berman said he couldn't control Iris Stephen Bear, and so <laughs> he was, you know, by by you know Hooker by Crook, he was going to control Brian Braga, and I, I I think that that's kind of interesting because Rick Berman is taking the Gene Roddenberry whirling away and and lessening the franchise and and making it yeah. smaller, you know, and and the the idea that. It's kind of like the difference between the, the letter and the spirit of the law in a sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it seems a – he takes maybe a stricter interpretation of things or he doesn't allow – I get the idea that if Rick Berman had its way all of the – you know when you're, when you're always talking about like the Marvel universe, right? You say how all the movies look the same and all the TV shows look the same. They're all shot the same. They're all – Directed the same, they're all structured the same. You know, you find them very samey. I think if Rick Berman had his way, Next Generation, you know, all of the nineties um, and early two thousands, those four shows would have been the exact same show, except different settings and different cast. And and, and I, Deep Space Nine very much wants to tell its ve- its very different story.
1: Yeah, and I I think that you know, in terms of in terms of story structure, in terms of Length of scenes, in terms of the way the shows are are shot and lit uh, and directed, I I do think they all look very similar. Yeah, you know, I I, which uh, there's a reason why we don't ever really talk about the visual look of '90s Star Trek because, frankly, it's not that interesting.
0: Which I think, uh, from you know, just talking '90s television in general, certainly there are shows that are better at it than others, uh, but not every show was Twin Peaks. Most were just. TV directors doing workmanlike stuff, I assume, because well, was-
1: uh, yeah, I mean, because for example, you know, we're, um, you know, we said last week we're, we're uh, launching our X Files podcast, yes, and tuning in this week, and I don't so remember if we could talk about that yet or not, yeah, yeah, and the X Files was this came out the exact same year that Deep Space Nine premiered, only it premiered in September and DS Nine premiered mm-hmm. in January, and the X Files is a very very good looking show
0: the atmosphere the, the the mood and even the way it uses music and 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 stuff is a very different atmosphere and a very singular atmosphere yeah I mean I think
1: that that you know d s nine voyager to some degree they they look very similar to each other and i I think that's where that comes from mm. and I also think that there was a recognition that you know, Iris Stephen Bear and, and Han, Hans Bemler and Ronald D. Moore and Renee Cavaria and, and, you know, Robert Hewitt-Wolf and, and even Michael Piller, who worked on the show for the first two years and, sh- and, and was the showrunner on DS9 for the first two years. And, you know, let's not forget that. Uh, they were trying to tell different kinds of stories and to develop characters in new and interesting ways for the franchise, even within the constraints of, okay, here's how you break a Star Trek yeah. story. And I, I think they mostly succeeded.
0: Well, yeah, I think there is something – they are working within the confines. But again, I think that makes it – that's one of the reasons it is such a strong show because it is – it keeps the core of Star Trek. There is a certainness to it that it it stays with. But I think while it's keeping within certain strictures, the rest of it is rebelling against those strictures at, very much. So there is a very – strong tension in a lot of the episodes between that, that I, that actually gives it a lot of its power, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to transition into actually talking about, um, the episode because, uh, you know, I do think that this is going to be a different sort of, of look at the series finale than, than all good things was only because so much of the series finale has the business of ending, Lot lines yeah. that have been in the in, in motion sometimes since the pilot in terms of what's going on with with the profits, and you know TNG was not that. I mean, certainly all good things was looking at Encounter at Farpoint and going back to the the very beginning of the show, and certainly we talked about that. But for the most part. Uh, It was not necessary to look at the entire plot arc of TNG in the same way that it's going to be as we talk about what you leave behind.
0: Yeah, if you look at all of the Q appearances, you do, and you know, you take the Borg, and you do see a general through line of again humanity becoming better and you know being more equipped to handle these challenges and all of those kind of things. But it's not as deliberate as in DS9, where the the pilot asks a couple questions and. While they're answered throughout, they are all answered by the end. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I think the only question that's not answered is will Bejor enter the Federation?
0: Yeah, and that you, that, frankly, by this point, I'm is not an interesting question anymore. Actually, um, I would I, agree with that. Yeah, whether it does or not is almost irrelevant. It's certainly going to have a close relationship with the Federation, and if it's not going to enter now, maybe it will later. But what matters is that the war is over, and I I, I think in the there, there is a degree to which, especially the, the alliances that are formed at the end, for example, between Kira and Damar, where they say, you know, all that personal stuff needs to go outside. This is a bigger problem. So, yeah, the question of Bejor's status is relevant in the context of the war
1: now. I, I think so, and I also think the 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 episode in the in the show is is doing you know kind of a interesting slash subversive slash ironic look at Bejor because it's not necessary for Bajor to join the Federation to come into its own. And I think it was actually, I mean, that was the whole point, I think, of Rapture in the fifth season when uh, uh, Cisco, you know, because remember, I mean, they were about to join the Federation and Cisco torpedoed it and said it was not the right time. And the reason for that was the Dominion War was going to be starting and they were going to have to protect themselves by signing a non-aggression treaty with the Dominion in a way that they, would not have been able to, you know, Bejor would have been invaded by the Dominion immediately if yeah. they had joined the Federation at that point because the war was going to start in a few months. And, you know, what you get instead is a Bejor, which is uh, uh, stronger for having the Pa Wraiths locked back up again, getting rid of Kyrie. Permanently, Winn, apparently. Apparently. And also having Kira act as a, a, a stand in for the occupation. And and having Kira, you know, as the the sort of emissary of of the Bajoran resistance, going and making, uh, not making amends with Cardassia, but I feel like Cardassia is almost making amends with Bajor, and that entire plot line to me feels like Cardassia realizing that. They are not able to go forward in the path that they did. I mean, that's even the point of the scene with Garrick when they're about to leave the basement. You know, where he says, basically, you know, my Cardassia is 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 dead. It's gone. Uh, It's never going to come back. We were very aggressive, and we're going to have to have a different a different path. And it's very very bittersweet, but it's also, I think, in a sense beijor coming into its own
0: yeah i i I mean where beijor was gonna go i think f- you know there's a mention of the new kai right um so they're gonna they're going i'm sure that kai has a co- committee together to discuss federation independence they're on the federation calendar again whatever they decide will be that decision you know it was clear that you know now that the dominion war is over but again I, you're right i cardassia has been in is in a position where it can't rebuild right it, or it, it can't go out and reconquer um no no see so, so i i i guess you want to there there's plenty of you know nazi comparisons you can make between Cardassia and the nazis um, uh and i guess i want you know, which nazis Sorry. exactly uh <laughs> the german ones um <laughs> fr- no but you think about something such as Germany post World War One, where its economy is fucking destroyed, and you know the situations with which lead up to World War Two. But then post World War Two, which Germany has since become more prosperous. Germany mm-hmm. has all these anti hate speech laws and stuff like that. And while I, you know, plenty of people will be able to tell you the country is not perfect, it is certainly. I think we generally feel that Germany has come to a reckoning with itself. And just as America is is having its reckoning now. um,
1: Well, I think, yeah, I think that's right. So yeah,
0: Cardassia has had its reckoning. And I guess the question is whether it's going to build itself into a more peaceful state. I mean, remember that Garrick explicitly says that his reason for doing this by the end of the episode is just simple revenge. Yeah, And so you can see he's going to have a prominent position in the rebuilding effort and
1: and I, I love the fact that Kara is like yeah that works you know yeah. she, she gets it
0: but yeah it's it's as good a reason for any I guess the question is whether Garrick realizes that there is no you know they he's gotten his revenge and now that's done and there needs to be a new goal or whether he's going to be looking for revenge for what happened to Cardassia even though it's both the Dominion's fault and Cardassia's own fault
1: yeah well I think that you know so, so there's a couple things there. I, I think that you're right that Cardassia feels a lot like Germany, and I mean, this is not this is something that I think even the show would agree with because I mean, Christ, Admiral yeah. Ross is quoting General MacArthur when they signed the the peace treaty with the Dominion. Yeah. Uh, so, this is something the show is very aware of, and uh, I think and, that, and even
0: as early as the Goldar heel stuff, they, they oh were, yeah. yeah, this has been throughout the show. We definitely want to get yeah. some of those resonances,
1: absolutely. And and so for me, I look at this and I say, so so Germany uh, was able to be sort of controlled by Hitler and, and taken over by the Nazis because the Allied powers at the end of World War One made a grave miscalculation and punished Germany severely for starting World mm. War One through sanctions and 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 through basically financial ruin of Germany, and that that gave. Uh, 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 the Nazis and Hitler room to take control because it would you know Germany was was an aggrieved party and Hitler was taking control of that yeah. idea and those feelings and which
0: to be fair World War One was not entirely Germany's fault it was a clusterfuck that just kind of, it, it, you know the whole powder keg theory yeah. in general so you know there is a, an element of unf, you know be it was beyond punishment and it wasn't the right people to punish necessarily.
1: But but Cardassia is not Germany at the end of yeah. World War One. It's Germany at the end of World War Two. Mm. It's it's the Federation, you know, obviously the Federation is not going to doesn't have to learn any lessons. The Federation is always going to operate in good faith. And, yeah. and the Federation is going to help Cardassia rebuild. The and Federation it's not is build. going to give Feder you know Cardassia replicators and food and medicine and clothing and all sorts of things. And It's not
0: going to divide Cardassia into East and West Cardassia either. It's not right. going to build the Cardassian wall.
1: Right. And so, you know, certainly you can say, okay, well, you know, the Allied powers at the end of World War II had their own reasons for uh, uh, building a strong West Germany because they wanted a bulwark against the Soviet Union. And that is true. But I also think the part of it was the recognition that uh, 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 being vindictive against Germany at the end of World War One mm-hmm. was a primary reason why World War II yeah. started, and so, yeah, I think that that you see that, and you see that the Federation is going to help Cardassia, and Cardassia is, I think, almost comically um, it, it worse off than than anything we've ever seen in Star Trek mm. before. I mean, at the end of the, I mean, the Dominion is is obliterating their cities. Uh, they've killed 800 million Cardassians, yeah. which is just a gigantic number. I mean, you figure even if the population of Cardassia Prime is 10 billion, that's a lot of fucking people to kill. And I mean,
0: you get the sense that
1: they're going from – I think they say they're going from
0: blowing up building to building. So you just picture them very methodically going block by block by block. Like that's horrifying. Yeah, Yeah.
1: And and I mean I guess my question for you is like do you – was that something that surprised you that the the level of destruction at the end of that that Cardassia was was inflicted on by by the
0: Dominion a little yes I was horrified but at the same time and here's where we're going to worry about Donald Trump again when a you you know of the typical the federate the Dominion is figuring if we're going down we're taking Cardassia with me at that point like they are not going to go quietly until until odo links with the the founder they are that is completely dominion character we need to we're not they i think she she, you know she talks about how she's going to make their victory very pyrrhic i mean when 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 martok ross and Cisco are planning the final push one of them says you know they're going to make us pay for every you know every mile we take they they Kilometer, kilometer, whatever. I, I'm sorry, I was thinking about real, <laughs> comprehensible measurements, not the weird British stuff.
1: Um. Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I also think that one of the things that I think is so interesting about the Dominion, especially at the end of the series, is that uh, you know I, I don't know, I don't know if the rest of the Great Link would agree with what the female Changeling was doing even necessarily. Mm. You know, I, there there is a question in my mind about her role in all this yeah. because, yes, the Dominion was aggressive and, yes, you could make the argument that the Federation kind of started the war, but they kind of had to because they both knew at the end of the fifth season that war was going to yeah. happen. And the Dominion, I, I like it because the Federation tried and tried and tried to work with the Dominion and convince them that they were not a threat. They they had no interest in, in, con- in conquest and domination, anything like that. And the Dominion obviously, you know, what what did the Dominion want? I, I don't know. Like, why did they want to conquer the Alpha Quadrant? What was in it for them? Was it just, a, you know, was it just hubris? Was it just them extending themselves too much and and being naive in a sense, I think, well, why do the Republicans want to control everything?
0: Why do we have a millionaire who from a gold a billionaire from a gold tower in the White House
1: right now? There's no I, evidence he's a billionaire.
0: <laughs> why why do I have a guy with 300 bucks in his pocket uh and and nothing else uh in, in the White House? I mean, there there is I think uh, to, to a degree the dominion is very cancerous, you know, just yeah. the Republican party is cancer right now. There is the you know, cap it's that much as the Ferengi are the capitalist species in this thing, I'd say the Dominion has more of the capitalist philosophy within them, without a, you know, in a non economics way. That's, I, 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 in a way, the Dominion is post scarcity capitalism, if you think about it. Um, they, want a very clear hierarchy with themselves on top, and they want everybody to file file into line in this, and some species have willingly gone into that and have been rewarded for their toadying, such as the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, seeing the Breen, but, you know, plenty of others, you know, won't, and the Dominion, for example, the species from the Quickening, they, they, I mean, the Dominion is very sadistic beyond. Not only they do they want you in your place if you're going to resist it every anything they're going to cripple you and you know destroy you until you regret it and they're going to keep doing that um
1: well i think that that you know part of the reason why i think the dominion hangs on for so long is and why they're so uh vindictive against even cardassia and that you know they're saying look hey we're destroying you like you should not have done this and there's a level to which it's almost comically villainous but I I, I do think that there is an element of of sunk cost fallacy here, too, where the Dominion in the form of the female changeling doesn't doesn't know when to cut her losses Mm. because the the Great Link has never had to do that. And, you know, as someone who lived in New York a long time and would wait for a train for 10 minutes and the train wasn't coming and people kept, you know, filling up the platform... Like, you know what? It's time to go. I'm going to walk home. Yeah. Like, it's not worth waiting here cuz who the fuck knows when the train is coming? And at the same time, the Dominion should have realized, "Hey, this train isn't coming." Yeah.
0: The um you know, and I I think it's very important that the Fed I I think it is very significant that it is the Federation who turns the war hot. Uh it's again reminding me of the new, you know, the the phrase so much for the tolerant left. Well, the Federation is the tolerant left that's fucking sick of your shit now we've given you so many chances to prove good faith to be better people, and you know at this point all you're really interested in is exploitation and hurting other people, and you know something fuck you this is this is where we draw the line Tolerant doesn't necessarily mean we're going to let everything happen we're going you know part of being moral is to rep- is to recognize when a fight is just, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, also even to the degree that, you know, look at the way that the Federation brought allies into mm. the war and, you know, the Klingons were brought in honorably, the Romulans were not, yeah. but there's no indication that, that, you know, bringing the Federation, bringing the Romulans into the war was definitely, um, um, an ends justifying the mean sort of situation. And it was very morally, if it wasn't immoral, it was very morally gray. But there's no indication that that once they joined the war, the Romulans were not full and equal partners of this alliance, and that the Federation was dealing with them on the up and up yeah. in the same way they were dealing with everybody else they ever dealt dealt with. Whereas, look at what the Dominion does. You know, they they use the Cardassians. They want the Cardassians to help them uh, wage this war. Once the Cardassians realize that they they've lost favor or something, and there is sort of an element of the Dominion, the Changelings, the Great Link as as you know sort of like stern parents with Aaron children or something yeah. and they have their favorites but look at the way, even in in the in the last episode, that the female changeling promises, huh. you know, Federation territories including Earth to the Breen, and then Wayun comes over and yeah. says, "Wait a second, I thought I was going to be in charge of all the the Federation territories." And the female changeling like, "Yeah, of course you are. I'm just, I would tell the Breen anything." And so that which one that, is she lying to? Number one, well, right. Which one is she lying to? Both. Also, <laughs> does it? We're right. Does it even matter though? I mean, it's like that is that is the fundamental difference between the way in which the Federation and the Dominion operate. And at the end of the. Series, Series, the federation way has been triumphant.
0: Yeah. But the federation way only becomes tri- triumphant because they are able to convince Odo who was finally able to convince the female changeling. I mean, what I thought was fascinating about it how it's only impli- it's only shown for a couple of seconds that they're linking and then, you know, she gets it and okay, you're right, let's su- we surrender. Um
1: which I mean of course. I kinda of have problems with that. I mean, there's a couple things in in the finale I have problems with, and that's one of them. Yes.
0: Uh I, I have to take that as symbol as <laughs> representative of, you know, of a, a much longer exchange. Like, why
1: didn't they why didn't Odo just do that two years ago? <laughs>
0: well, yeah, um, but partially it's I, I do think that has to do with Odo being in a stronger and stronger position as the series goes on sure. and the female changeling's position weaker and weaker the last time they met when they were on deep space nine and they linked, she was in control she was not you know sick yet she was you know the war was going very well for the dominion and so they are able she is able to influence and seduce odo to the dark side as it were and at by the end of the series odo has become so strong his love for the solids as you know as they say his he is he now has no doubts that this there is a the possibility of harmony between the two, and yeah. that they can put aside the differences, and that the federation way is the way. If the cha- we we never really know how much the changelings buy their own line that they're victims, you know. Just as we don't know how much the alt right believes it's victims or not, um, they think that you know. Again, according to their narrative, back in the day, uh, all of the solids persecuted the changelings. Only a couple of species, for example, the vorta uh were able to were compassionate and kind to them and they had high parts in the Dominion's hierarchy. But once the Dominion came to power it knew that if it didn't put these solids in line, they would just kill them and so it's acting out of self-preservation. Again, no matter what its origin were, the the Dominion long ago passed to the point when any action they were taking was justified. They were no longer the underdogs who were fighting for their own freedoms. They were the oppressors. Yeah, and yeah. um because they are still in that again, I use the term capitalist hierarchy framework. Uh, the Federation, who is outside of that, is able to have other species that it works with either on an equal e- equal basis as equal partners in the Federation. For example, humans and Vulcans, or even if there's just an alliance such as the Klingons and the and, and the Federation, they're going to treat the Klingons as equal partners in you know, when they're working together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that there's a couple things there. Number one, of course, is that, um, Odo and the female changeling have, like you said, really switched roles very, very abruptly. Um, well not abruptly, but, but sort of, uh, completely, you know, you're right. Like when Odo was on the station, when it was being under dominion control at the beginning of the sixth season, he was very lost. He was, he was very unsure of himself. And the female changeling was confident and knew exactly what was going on. And Odo was was very, very, very influenced by her because uh, he, you know, let's not forget, he basically um, became some sort of. <laughs> he was like, I don't care about any of this, and I'm, yeah. just, you know, I'm above it all. And Kara was was you know horrified by this. And it's the exact opposite at the end of the, of, of the series. You know, Odo is now role, playing that role that the female changeling played in that. Uh, uh, episode of the of the series so that's interesting yeah and then i think the second part of that is you know where does the Dominion go from here yeah and and where does you know because i do think that oda was going to have an effect on the great link in the same way that he was able to finally convince the female changeling to end the war and and not even end the war but stand trial for her crimes and be imprisoned which is something that i think is even further uh uh, uh than than what we could even hope for and I think that the Dominion will pull back. I think the Dominion will be very insular for a while. Yeah. But my, you know, my question I guess is do you ever anticipate a scenario where the Federation and the Dominion can work together? I mean, I think from the Federation's perspective I I would I would like to say yes, but I even feel like that might be a little too far even for them. It depends on how much the Dominion is willing to change again the uh
0: the hierarchies inherent in the Dominion are against the, you know, the Federation's laterality, and I don't think those two philosophies can slot into each other that nicely. They could certainly have. I, I can see certainly see a kinder, gentler version of the Dominion that you know rules by peace rather than war, rather than fear. Um, but at the same time, what's going to happen to the Gem You know, they're they're going to have right. To, they're going to have to change very much. You know, the Vorda are going to have to change every. But you're right. Everybody is going to have to change. I mean, the I uh, I I think it would be a very interesting series to have based on the Afterwards of the Dominion. Is this what it's like to change a capitalist society into a socialist one? Is that what the you know that could be a very interesting theme to take that in the. Uh, But, I mean, frankly, I think the Dominion is headed for Civil War, but that's a different story.
1: I don't know, though. I mean, do you think so? Because, you know, we yeah, uh, know. obviously we don't have a good sense of how the Dominion operates, but I, I don't know who would even fight in a Civil War. Well, you know... I mean, unless the Great Link split or something.
0: Yeah, I don't know if the Great Link would split, but remember that there are always people who don't like change, you know? Would the Vortel want to be
1: in a lateral organization? Would the Jem'Hadar? I mean, I think that if you if you take the show... At face value, with the concept that the Vorta and the Gem Hadar have been genetically engineered to believe that the founders yeah. are infallible gods, I think yes, they would. But again, that genetic
0: engineering fixes that into their biology, that hierarchy. And so, is is a, I, I guess, an odd question to ask. But is a Vorta who doesn't believe that the founders are gods, but meanwhile, but just their bosses, uh, still a Vorta? Are all changelings then going to still be at the top, or can you have a changeling at the bottom rung of society? Can you have uh, a Vorta giving who? Can you have a changeling working for a Vorta?
1: Well, I think that um, I don't think that's an odd question. Yeah. I think that that is actually getting to the heart of how the Dominion needs to change, yeah, and and how the changelings need to change because they do need to get to that place where they are equals as opposed to yeah. to gods. I don't know if they'll get there, but I do think that that's where. They all need to go. Now, uh, will that happen? It's possible. Um, But we don't know. And we'll probably never know. Unless there's another series after Star Trek Discovery that takes place in the 25th century.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it would... I wonder if that sequel series will elide the Dominion or, you know, only... Like, Like, I wonder if it would... Just hand wave it at at first, at least with. Well, they're staying; they've stayed in the Gamma Quadrant, and you know, after the war, we decided to.
1: It's it's very possible, and I I think that um, you know, one of the things I mean, Section Thirty-One is dealt with a little bit in a couple of the Mm -hmm. later um incarnations of Star Trek, and so, you know, people always say that Deep Space Nine is sort of the forgotten franchise, which I don't necessarily agree with because I don't really think that there was much of a um. You know, there's Voyager's, you know, fucking off in the Delta Quadrant, so they're not going to be dealing with the Dominion or the Cardassians, and Enterprise certainly wasn't going to because it was taking yeah. place 200 years before all this happened. So there was no real opportunity for uh, the other series and the other movies to really um, take any of what Star Trek Deep Space Nine put into the franchise and deal with it at all, but they do deal with some of it. So I do think that... You know, if there was if there was going to be a a sequel series that took place in the future, I think it probably would deal with the Dominion at some point. But it might deal with them in the same way that they dealt with, you know, the Romulans for a long yeah. time, where they were just sort of like fucking around and they weren't there. Or
0: it's about the Borg threatening the Dominion and the Dominion comes to the Federation for help.
1: I think that would be awesome. Mm.
0: I mean, and it would be the total fan service thing, but
1: anyway, um Well, let's talk about um Let's talk about Cardassian a little bit more because we haven't really dealt with Demar. I mean, Damar's is dead. Sadly. Yeah, which I did.
0: That was surprising to me.
1: Who was it? You'd- yeah. Well, again, I thought they were very much going
0: towards Demar. You know, this is the full. I, I thought the full arc of Demar was going to be from Underling to you know thrust into power. He can't quite have mm-hmm. to decadent and dissolute to finding a purpose and ultimately becoming a. Uh, becoming a legend yeah. and and a hero and uh again i thought that it was going to, he was going to be leading the new cardassia and uh, like i said last week he's the he's a cardassian who's able to develop empathy he's one who is a good by which we mean federation approved cardassian leader um and that he dies and that he becomes a martyr for the cause in a way is just as appropriate of a, and surprising of an arc for him uh but there is i mean i would I found it very sad and poignant. I wanted to see Cardassia under his leadership.
1: Yeah, I I think that I I kind of frankly
0: a lot of Cardassians did too. I mean, they're again, yeah.
1: But I kind of feel like Demar needed to die. I mean, I can see that as a as a general sort of you know desire on your part to see Demar be leading the Cardassians. But I I don't know if it's really. I don't know if it's uh, a bad thing that DeMar did not live to see Cardassia completely decimated. Yeah, there's I mean, that. Derek is certainly extremely, extremely depressed at this. Well, and, I didn't
0: expect Cardassia to be, you know, as bad off by the end as it did. I I didn't expect – again, I was neither surprised by the by, – I was neither shocked or unsatisfied by DeMar's death or the changeling, you know, blowing up the cities, but I was – I wasn't expecting either of that. It went in a different direction that I had thought or yeah, had I mean, wanted, I, maybe.
1: Yeah, because I think that the show, this episode in particular, is is trying to do things that you might not expect,
0: and uh, yeah, and it was if again for very good effect. I like the decisions that were made for that, but
1: yeah, and and I think that you know Demar uh, really was a character that again it really speaks to to what Deep Space Nine was best at, which was taking this sort of perfunctory flunky character that, that didn't even have a name the first couple of times he appeared and made him the leader of the Cardassian resistance yeah. at the end of the series that is storming the Dominion headquarters. I mean, that is, if that doesn't speak to what deep space nine was able to do yeah. well, it, nothing does.
0: But again, I, and one of the things about the series is that everybody has that line that they cross and, well, it's more dramatically interesting when we finally see the Federation cross that line. It's also good to see Damar realizing where that line is, what the point of the Dominion, where they're not—you know—it's not—it's beyond okay to have them. I mean, you know, they're no longer—they're using us. They're—they're they're not holding up their end to the bargain. They're, yeah, they need to be fought against.
1: Yeah, well, because I think that that you know, if you look at someone like uh, Broca, for example, who was the the you know quizzling in charge of the Cardassian government after Damar, uh, Oh yeah, he is, and his death is great. Well, it's great, and I mean, he's stabbed to death by the Gem huh. which is like Jesus. But you know, it's also it's also kind of instructive to me because he's the complete opposite of of Damar, and Damar is has gone a complete one hundred and eighty. You know, part of part of why the Cardassia, I think, was almost completely destroyed at the end of the series was because let's not forget Gold Dukat was the one who brought them into the Dominion. And Cardassia was facing a very real possibility that they were losing a lot of their traditional markers of what they what made them Cardassia. You know, they weren't able to extend power out anymore. They um, we're we're getting political decisions being made more that were pa- more powerful than military decisions. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, it was revealed at some point in the series that ending the Bajoran occupation was a political decision and yeah. Golducott was very dismissive of that. And so Demar and and Garrick to a large degree have both realized that I think that Golducott's decision to bring Cardassia into the Dominion was sort of this last de- last desperate attempt to continue the cardassia that had already died. Huh. You know, it's kind of like, you know, trying trying to extend a relationship that's not working anymore. Yeah. And and it's bad of course that 800 million cardassians are dead and it's bad yeah. of course that some of their major cities are completely destroyed. I'm not saying that's a good thing. No. But
0: yeah, it's it's, it's it, uncomfortable to say that cardassia got what it deserved because you know, maybe that was a little too beyond the
1: pale. Cardass- but well we also don't really have a good sense of what Cardassian civilians thought of yeah. any of this. Now obviously at the end we do because they uh, were all resisting, but
0: Yeah, but but I, I, I guess it's
1: there is a degree to which the
0: ending of the show gives us exactly what we might have wished for at the beginning. We want Cardassia to have the reckoning that the fake Gold are healed said it needed. We may want to even see them punished. Kira certainly, if you'd asked her at the beginning of the series, you know, if you could see Cardassia, you know, destroyed and, you know, thrown back, would you she would have said yes without any hesitation and
1: And now she gets to see it.
0: Yeah, and it gives it and it and it's horrifying and it and it it's sad and you know it I, I, I think there was the possibility that Cardassia had been redeemed and got punished for that redemption too.
1: Yeah, because I, I mean let's not forget, I mean, as bad as as Cardassia Decimated Bejor, you know, with, yeah. the, with the occupation at the beginning of of the series when they left, the Dominion have paid them back for that, yeah, a thousand times over, and yeah. and Cardassia is is a thousand, a million times worse off than Bejor ever was, yeah.
0: Again, that's why I think that you know, if Bejor is the the. I I, I I think Bajor and the Federation are headed to Cardassia to do some rebuilding work. Oh, know, sure. Again, and which also, frankly, from, you know, is a, vet- a very Federation thing. You can't be that upset at somebody who's helping rebuild your your place. I mean, certainly Damar is, well, Damar is fairly singular, but he's not the only Cardassian who's going to be able to accept, uh, for example, a in training the army. And so they, they are going to, I, I think we're left with, the thought of Cardassia having a very long and difficult road ahead of itself, and it's never going to be the same, and it's it's losing a lot. Uh, it's lost so much, and it's losing even more, and it's not going to be where it ever was, but uh, it's going to – it understands, I guess, the place <laughs> – do you know where I'm going? I don't know where I'm going. I don't with, know where you're going. With this. I don't know where I'm going with this because I don't want to say that you know the destruction of Cardassia is going to make Cardassia better. That's a sick thing to say, but I, 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 this is kind of where I why though I like where Cardassia ends up though because well, it gives us all these very difficult questions that don't have
1: answers. Let's put it this way: I think that that it's not a good thing that uh, no. almost a billion Cardassians are dead. It's not a good thing that their no. major cities are destroyed, but it happened and. They can they can either yeah. go in the right direction from this or go in the wrong direction yeah. from this, and and I think that at the end of the series, we're left with the hope. I think through what Garrick says that they're going to go in the right direction. Yes, and I, they're, go, they're going to learn the right lessons from this. Yeah, they will take the tragedy and become stronger. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about. The profits and the pot rates okay I Th- this is uh a little cheesy a little cheesy <laughs> it's one of my least favorite things the show has ever done it
0: felt like a 90s video
1: cd-ROM game it's it's so I don't know I <sighs> I like the fact that we finally got a resolution for the emissary. We finally get an explanation of why Ben Sisko mm-hmm. exists. And, you know, if you take the retcon from the beginning of of the seventh season that the prophets engineered his birth, yeah. which is, you know, a predestination paradox, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the prophets are nonlinear, they whatever that means. They can do that kind of stuff. It 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 is in a sense a little disappointing that the reason that Ben Sisko was engineered to exist was so he could fight Gul with magic. Yeah. And I also don't really know what we were supposed to take out of any of this. Kai Wynn, we already knew was not a nice person. Gul we already knew was not a nice person. I I don't really understand why we needed to have the paw rates in this at all. I don't know what we really get out of it. And I, I think that it was a very, um, questionable creative choice for the show to make.
0: I, can't disagree with any of that it, it, it's the kind of it isn't as sophisticated as this show earned in a lot of ways it, it feels like they read it, lo- it, they read lord of the rings the night before and just had to uh well it's you know, funny
1: you come, say that because Iris Stephen bear is a huge lord of the rings fan yeah apparently. well <laughs> but which you know not surprising i i, I th- yeah i think it's like this doesn't feel like deep space Nine. yeah it, it feels like a very different show And I don't get, again, I just don't get what they were trying to do with this. Yeah. You know, what is the point of any of this? The prophets are, uh, because, you know. If you're going to do something that, you know, if you're going to
0: intercede to the degree of. You know, I'm going to possess a woman, get her impregnated, and have her have a child so that he can have all of these adventures and eventually destroy this book. Wouldn't it have been just as easy to do something to get rid of the gold Dukat so that way the entire occupation wouldn't have happened in the first place?
1: Or just like tell Cisco yeah. to go burn the fucking book. Yeah, like – No one's going to tell the, the emissary of the prophets that he can't see the book of the Coast Emojin. Yeah. Right. I mean, then just take a phaser and like destroy it. I, <laughs> you know, it, it is that, I mean, you can't think about it logically, of course, because it's much more about feeling and it's much more about yeah, uh, uh, getting these characters to a certain place. But the place that they're getting is just not interesting, and it feels like they didn't have a good resolution for these characters. You know, I, I, you know, will defend Gold Ducat uh, uh, becoming. The emissary of the Potwraiths, like yeah. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad choice for the show to make,
0: and I think it's good that y- it's fine to. W- once you have that, you have a Christ-antichrist uh, dichotomy, and which is fine, but I think they do it stupidly.
1: Yeah, right. Because w- what is again? What are they really fighting for? And you know that the Potwraiths are not going to come out and destroy the prophets and 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 destroy Bejor and and you know start the yeah. start the reckoning or whatever the fuck it was supposed to be. I mean. I, you know, I, I just don't...
0: I, I was let down that it turns out the Pa Wraiths... Were, it, it would have been more interesting to have the Paw Wraith story, be, which is that, you know, they were ousted from the Celestial Temple, but they're the true gods, and, you know, they have just... It would have, If that had been the truth rather than, oh, we were secretly evil, and, you know, that would have been much more interesting. That That would have been much more... Within the lines of again the grayness of this, I frankly would have been more interested in having the paw wraiths come to a reckoning and and understand their place and get their own redemption. But instead, they're just locked up forever. And happy ending. I mean that that alone. If the if the Dominion is able to be redeemed yeah. at the end, why not the paw
1: wraiths? Well, I actually think that's that's right because one of the reasons I think why the paw wraith storyline doesn't really work and why the resolution falls so flat is that. We kind of understand what the prophets want. We we've seen them. We don't get their we don't get their point of view necessarily. But, but characters have talked to them. Characters have argued with them. You know, Ben Cisco explained how time worked to them in the pilot of the show. And aside from when one of the paw wraiths in the assignment. embodied, you know, Keiko and took her over and possessed yeah. her, we don't ever really get uh what you know, a conversation with characters in the Paw Wraiths. You know, it's all about interpretation what Gul Dukat thinks the Paw Wraiths want and what Kai Wynn thinks they want. And maybe they're wrong. I-, I don't know. And I think that we needed that. We needed yeah. to hear directly from the Paul Wraiths what they want well i thought the whole ha, ha ha we're
0: gonna burn everything down now was pretty clear
1: yeah but that's not it's really, stupid it's but it's not it clear it's not satisfying and it also yeah. doesn't come until the very end of the series yeah. so it's like you know this is what it was leading to yeah 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 i just and, want to destroy beijor
0: and for, which frankly was kind of what i thought that you know they were in the keiko episode you know the, the, it, this is completely in line with that and it's nothing it's there's no twist on it you know, again that gold, yeah, yeah. that Goldicott is passionately arguing that the Powraiths just want, you know, prosperity for their people, and if they're a little dark about it, well, you know, that's, you know, just the shades of grey of the sh- again, that's much more evocative of something. You know, that has much more uh meat to it than just one what there's right. there's good gods and there's bad gods and the bad gods want to get out, but at the end Cisco makes it so that the bad gods can't get out.
1: Right, and Gul Dukat is now with them in the same way that Sisko is with the Prophets. Okay. I mean, I guess, fine, whatever. You know, Gul Dukat is, is trapped in Hell. fire caves for the rest of his life in a non-corporeal form. That doesn't sound great, but it I, doesn't also really seem like Gul Dukat is getting his just desserts.
0: Yeah, again, this could have just been easily solved by the Prophets having a vision towards uh, Kaiwen's secretary and... Oh, we can't find the coast emoji. It's been stolen, right? You know that 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 would have solved the entire plot.
1: Well, because I mean, I, you know, I have my own opinions about this. I I mean, I'll ask you: like, do you think this is a a fitting end for for the characters of Golduca and Kai Wynn? Because to me, Golduca was a very multi layered character. Mm-hmm. Golduca was one of the most, I think, interesting characters that that any Star Trek show has ever created, and they did a very good job of of humanizing him while also making sure that you never forgot that this man was a sociopathic monster. And while well, I think they got a little, you know, aside from that and, you know, kind of the middle of the show, but they were, they course correct. Maybe they course correct a little too much. I don't know, but I don't know that this is a satisfying ending for gold Ducat. I don't no. think This is really the ending that is, um, is, is worthy of the character. And I also don't know that this ending is worthy of Kai Wen.
0: There are parts of it that I like about Kai win. I like that. You know, she totally, you know, dude. I love how fooled Ducat is by her. You know, he genuinely yeah. think seems to think that, you know, he's shocked when, you know, he finds that she's poisoned him. I mean, that, the, and I knew the entire time, like, you know, she's got this, you know, shit eating green. Like she's a, barely yeah. hiding, you know, she's, it's so obvious. Again, I've, li- through this entire arc, I've liked that even as far as she's gone with Ducat, she has still known that she's in charge. Yeah. And that,
1: don't call me a dummy. Call me eminence.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I like all of those things. I like what you know. And there is a degree to which her own, uh, I guess, arrogance is the best word for it, gets the better of her because she doesn't realize. You know, she thinks she will be the vessel of the parades, and she's just yeah. consumed by them.
1: Well, yeah, because I, I mean, again, I mean, I will defend everything that goes up to the end of the series yeah. in this regard. I. Kaiwen is obviously a very multi-layered character as well. You know, the show has done a very good job of establishing that she has never been, the prophets have never spoken to her. She's never had an orb vision. You know, she doesn't have a personal relationship with, you know, her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, but she is the leader of the Bajoran religion. Yeah. She is essentially an empty vessel. She is someone who has, I think that she, I think at some point she probably thought she had faith in the prophets. But obviously, she doesn't really have yeah. faith in the prophets. But she kind of convinced herself that she did because she is able to portray the pious Vedic and then the pious Kai. And she is able to use that position. Kaius, She is able to use that position of power to get what she wants, which is more and more power. And you know her her hubris is that she goes too far now. Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't, she misses the fact that the Paw Wraiths are not going to make her their emissary. They're using her in the same way that she's used everyone else her entire career. I think that's a really, really cool character yeah. arc for her. But at I'm, the end, she just seems stupid and then she gets destroyed by the Paw Wraiths. And it's like, okay.
0: Yeah. Neither she nor Ducat really have that realization. I mean, I'm thinking of that. Uh, conversation she has with kira right before she finally says all right fuck it i'm with the paw wraiths um is that she you know kira you know she's saying i don't know what to do i i i don't have my fate you know and all of that and kira says well you know you need to step back you need to live you know do things for other people and she basically you know says that if you you have to leave your position as kai and you know start from square one kind of yeah this is going with the you know, and let's go biblical, you know, all yeah, right, if you want to get to heaven, sell all your possessions and follow me. And, you know, the rich man went and went disappointed. That is literally what's happening in that scene. Kai thinks that the vision from the prophets is her reward for all of that she's done. I mean, but she is I, – I don't think anybody is curious why she's never been considered worthy by the prophets because she's not. Yeah, uh, Because yeah. she has done so, and her, her faith is so fake in them, and she is – uh uh, uh, Against she the, and especially because so many of the characters who get visions from the prophets, they're burdens, right? They're not, right? It's not a reward to have what, what what being the emissary was not a reward for Sisko. It was it was a cross to bear.
1: Well, and, right. I mean, he he, you know, he now is not going to be able to see his his child born. Probably. I mean, he's dead, right? That's that's
0: as far as I, what what. Oh I, no,
1: he's not dead. He's with the prophets. What's but- <laughs> No,
0: I, I I I think that Ben has become an energy being. If you want to do it scientifically, but they had they did
1: they did say. I mean, here's the interesting story about this. The backstory is that originally he was going to leave, and it was going to be very clear that he was never going to come back. That yeah. he had become a prophet, right? And Avery Brooks went to uh, Iris Stephen Bear and said. I'm uncomfortable with this because this means something very different in Star Trek, and this means something very different in 20th Century America. Mm. This is a black man leaving his pregnant yeah. wife, and I don't want to do that. No, that's and, very and fair. And so, you know, to his credit, I was Stephen Bear was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's rewrite it and let's make it clear that you're going to come back at some point. But and I also think that's the point of the vision. Um, that's obviously the yeah. point of the vision with with Cassidy, where you know he's able to come to her as a prophet because he is now a prophet or whatever he is going to come back at some point so he is not dead
0: i don't know cuz the way he phrases it which i in very poetically uh the it, it could be a year from now it could be yesterday i mean it's it's that that i think is a poetic way of saying that ben is out of time now and it's not well he
1: is he's a prophet
0: yeah and, and, and so he has got that kind of existence and it's more I don't know to me it's it it to me it, it I I am not sure if we a season 8 would con, would have a corporeal uh Cisco appearing on the and and maybe Cisco you know again in season 8 would appear much more ambiguously almost you know as a spirit again in the we, we have to go into you know we have to go biblical for here as a while post uh, resurrection Jesus is described very ambiguously in most of the, you know, the gospels afterwards and sort of just kind of appearing and disappearing. And that's how I think Cisco would be in the leader.
1: I mean, I can see that interpretation certainly, but the reason why I don't agree with it is that prophet Cisco makes the decision to go to his corporeal wife and tell her that he is going to come back knowing that she doesn't want him back. As someone who appears in visions yeah. every once in a while, she wants her husband back. That's and funny. so I, I think that's why I am much more on the side of Cisco's going to hang out with the prophets for a while, and then he's going to decide to to come back as as a corporeal person. I I think I really do believe that. Okay, but you know we can but I li- disagree. That's why you know that's why the show is so great because it's left yeah. open ended. You can I, have different uh, uh, interpretations of it.
0: Yeah, no, that is part of the power of that particular I.
1: And it's also what it the- took the, the every
0: you know once until he jumps into the fire that's all cheesy as hell whatever but then uh, they they save it at the end I think we where they get it again whether or not he's in physical form and actually going to come back and live an everyday mundane life and yeah. you know cook dinner and eat and sleep and all of those things or. Whether he is, you know, a spirit being who is with the prophets, whether he in their nonlinear time has created the Bajoran religion or not. I mean, that's right. I, I joked about, you know, circular timeline, but who's to say that that's not the case? Who's to say that the prophets don't know everything
1: because he's told them? Who's to say Ben Cisco is not the prophet who decided to go back and yeah. have Sarah impregnate? You know like I mean, Ew, you know, it's it's but yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't know. We have no idea. We we just can't know that. Yeah. And I you know, I, I you know, I'm not we're not done talking about this yet. I mean, you know, strap in. This is a long podcast, but uh the last scene of the series is just so yes. beautiful and so evocative and it's you know, yes, it is a little bit of a shame that Jake Cisco did not get to say goodbye to his father, but he loves his father so much, and he knows yeah. his father loves him. And that last scene of him, you know, on the promenade in the same place that that he he started the series in, really with with Nog, and Kira comes up to him, and you know they're both just looking at the wormhole, and you know they're looking at yeah. it for different reasons. Kira is looking at it because it's the celestial temple and 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 Jake is looking at it because that's where he thinks his father is and he's waiting for his father to come back mm-hmm. and you know he's not going to leave deep space 9 he's he's probably going to be a little broken for a while and it's but it's not a it's well, not in a bad way.
0: It's not the visitor level of broken. I mean that that's right, the other. I mean right. there was a similar. I remember a, a similar scene in The Visitor when you know Kira is comforting him after his father has disappeared, and we know where Jake in that episode spirals to. Yeah, um, yeah. And yet, you know, the this version of Jake is going to be okay. You know, even if it's just simply he's a few years older and he's found his place in the world a little better. Yeah. Um, he you know is able to have now you know an adult peer relationship with, you know, these people. He's not a kid anymore. Um,
1: and his friend Nog is, is yeah. apparently stationed on the, sh- on the, sh- on the station now. So that's good.
0: No, I, I, I don't worry about any of the characters. Like, I think they're all going to be okay from this, but,
1: but I also, I also think the last shot of the series, yes. you know, really, do- I mean, it's beautifully done and, and it's also, um you know, the, the, the only time that they ever used a CGI mm. uh, deep space nine, but it's, it, it's interesting to me because it grounds it in a, in a place yeah, and it really does speak. It's a visual representation of the place that this show took place in the two most important, I think locations in the show, deep space nine and the celestial temple, which obviously is standing in for Bajor. yeah, And it's, it's just, it's a beautiful way for the yeah. show to go out.
0: And it's, a, I mean, it's a very hopeful, you know, as, as well, again, whether or not, Cisco does come back. They're left with the hope and the faith that he will come back. And there is a bit of, you know, this is just one tiny place in a gigantic galaxy, you know, kind of a thing. You know, imagine how many stories are kind of a thing. But at the same time, it's not – we're never left with the opinion that this station or anybody on it is insignificant.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Ezra and Bashir are <sighs> okay. <they're laughs> so, done. so this is kind of weird to me, right? So, like, all good things started out with uh, Troy and Worf like making out, and now the last episode of DS Nine ends with two characters making out again. I don't know why Star Trek is into doing this, but I is guess it something it's fine. for the fanfic writers? Or I mean, I don't have a problem seeing Alexander Siddik without a shirt on. I'm I'm all for that. Uh I think he's an attractive man, but I guess like it's fine. I don't yeah, know. It's just... I, it it feels to me like they didn't really know. Okay, so so if you take the idea that Bashir is like lonely, right? And that he he's fundamentally a lonely person and now his resolution at the end of the series is going to be finally with get, getting with Jadzia because let, you know, Ezri is a stand yeah. for Jadzia here. Um And which which I I guess
0: which bothers me too. Again, I've been heavy on the Quark and Ezri train,
1: but And did you notice in that scene in uh I believe it was in Vix, which is a beautiful scene as Mm -hmm. well, um, that Armin Shimmerman does I don't know if he was directed to do this or if he was sort of like this was his own acting instinct, but he like looks back and gives Ezri like this, you know, kind of wistful look. Yeah. And also interestingly enough, in that scene. I think Worf is standing between Ezri and Bashir, <laughs> which is weird. Hmm. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Well, again, I got even though Quark got you know started on the well, she's the next best thing. I'm going to be you know my big stratagem is I'm going to be friends with her and care about her well being until you know we've bonded and you know we're going to have you know a, a strong friendship. Right. You know that like I think Quark came to appreciate Ezri. Uh, he's he doesn't do the same things with her that he did with Dax. She's not hanging out playing tango with him, right? You know, he's she's not. You know, even if she may start as Jadzia's little sister, you know, in a way, he he comes to appreciate who she is. I don't get that sense that you know for for Bashir. Yeah, yeah. You know, she he's this is just Jadzia part two, right? Such as for Worf, it's Jadzia part
1: two, and. I, I don't know that I I mean I don't know that I want to talk necessarily about the relationship that's because yeah. who the fuck cares, honestly. But it's more to do with the fact that I mean, my question, I guess, is do you think the show really did a good job of justifying why Ezri was there? And and to leave her in this point at the end of the series, which is like Okay, she's finding satisfaction through a romantic relationship. It it feels a little disappointing to me.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would have liked her to have found a place outside, you know. Or again, either with Quark or she, you know, decides. All right, well, I need to. I'm going to Cardassia to help with the rebuilding, or you know, they need me on Bajor, or I'm going to go home for a little while because you know my my family is still in disarray. You know, now that the war is over, I've gotta. Nah, i, I got to help my family kind of a thing. Like, any of those would have been better. Uh,
1: right. And I, I know that, you know, on the on the scale of characters that do not get a, a proper sort of, like, goodbye or whatever, yeah. Esri is not high on my list of ones to care about. But... It just it feels yeah. it feels disappointing to me, especially because Jadzia doesn't appear at all in the finale. And yeah, I, I mean, there's that, and they wanted
0: to. There is that montage scene that with that really gorgeous um, music, the mix of the theme and the way you look tonight. I loved that bit, and they very it's almost pointed how they don't show any Jadzia.
1: Well the reason for that was because they did write a brief scene and they wanted to bring, I think they wanted yeah. to bring Tara Farrell back to film some sort of like flashback yeah. scene. And, and she didn't, she wanted a lot of money to do it. I guess she was bitter that she yeah. was killed off the show, which is fair. Um, and it's especially, you know, we talked about this when, when Jadzia was, was killed at the end of last season, but yeah. it's especially, you know, bittersweet because Iris Stephen Bear didn't know that she wanted to be a recurring character. And, and he was like, yeah, he didn't find that out until 20 years later. Mm. And, he was like, "Yeah, we would have done that. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous. Why didn't but, you just come to me?" But you know, so what happened was her agent or whatever told them that she wanted like a ridiculous amount of money to do like a two minute yeah. scene. So they decided not to do it, and she would not give them their permission to use her image. Wow. Okay. So that's why Jadzia doesn't. Yeah, in that, I, and that and they wanted to you know because it does it does feel pointed yeah. that she's not in there. Yeah, we
0: and especially we see with the older cat other characters. It's so nice to see like. Again that little montage that they had on the Netflix menu, you know, they do that in the show and it, it you know the show itself acknowledges and wants us to acknowledge how much these characters have grown and changed yeah. over the
1: past 7 years and um I mean I think my favorite montage of the three that we see is is the montage of the Bashir and O'Brien friends. Yeah. You know going all the way back to the first season. Yeah.
0: No, it's 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 these it's it's hitting me, you know, this is a series that I'm going to Miss in a way that as much as I, you know, grew to love the TNG cast, for example, you know, they there's still more that I I, I miss this, you know. Well,
1: I think that um I mean, I think that this is your I think you found your Star Trek show. I, I mean, I think I you really, really like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I, I I'm with you on on this series.
1: Yeah. And you're going to miss it.
0: I am going to miss it. Like, I I keep feeling like, all right, you know, well, then we take the break and then we get the next season,
1: you know. Well, now you just have to read the novels. I'm ready to read the novels. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the fact that so many characters leave, the fact that so many characters are, are everyone's pretty much in a different yeah. position. Well, except for Bashir, maybe he's still there and still, you know, head of medical on, on Deep Space Nine and Quark is still there as well. Um, those are, of course, yeah. grounded characters that are you know those. You can't have everybody leave.
0: Of course, they do have you know Quark more so than Julian. I would say has changed his attitude towards his business, and you know Bashir is further in his career. He has changed as a person very much. He's not looking for that. You know, he's had his frontier excitement now. You know, if the rest of Bashir's career is just investigating, you know strange diseases and if he becomes the federation version of house you know that's i i think he'll be happy with that and you know he's going to you know he i think he may slowly turn into that version uh you know what what o'brien has become which is a dude who just likes hanging out with a friend and you know going home to his family
1: right well because you know i think i think that's right and i i you know i like the fact that we do every every goodbye or non-goodbye that we get feels very, very true to the relationship mm. that those characters have. And I also think that I like the fact that we get a glimpse of what Deep Space Nine is going to be like yeah. after this because, you know, Kira comes in and she's running the station now and, you know, no betting pools on my station mm. and Quark's like, okay, you know, and you see that kind of stuff and, you know, Jake is still there, Nog is there, you know, all those characters and it's it's you can kind of see the the outlines of how that station is going to operate now. And also, frankly, I think that, you know, the the, the goodbyes that every character gets with every mm-hmm. other character, you know, the non-goodbye that Odo gives Quark, yeah. which is a, just a fantastic scene because Odo knows that he doesn't want to give Quark the satisfaction yeah. and Quark knows that Odo yeah. is doing that for a very deliberate reason. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, the two of them get on yeah, the, the two of them are able to completely communicate. And I guess what I'm thinking of now, you know, to go back to the Cisco thing, they do make a point of showing that Ben's baseball is still in the office. So, yeah. You know, that's not a, you know, even if he's And again, whether or not he comes back, his line about, you know, part of us is still here. Yeah. That's I think the, you know, what the baseball has turned into.
1: And the show, I mean, the, you know, and this show is respectful of everything that's come before yeah. too. I mean, even in that little brief scene um, in, in, in Quarks, where, you know, Brian's talking to them and asking, you know, everyone's like, where are you going to live? And he's like, I don't know. And <laughs> Worf keeps saying Minsk.
0: Yeah. I was watching this with my boyfriend. who's like, why Minsk? And I'm like, well, actually, that's where, you know, he grew up in Russia. And, you know, you know, I give the little bit of Worf's backstory, but. You know, everybody talks about how I am not a merry man is the funniest, you know, Wharf line, but Minsk is so much better. This this yeah. series figures out how to
1: make Worf funny. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, Wharf <laughs> is not a character that I like. I don't think he's a very good person, but it's okay that he's not yeah. a character. And, you know, he gets I, – I, I think he gets the send-off that he deserves, and I also hmm. think that it's nice that the show is not sending him back to the Enterprise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like – they could have done that, and I feel like it would not have been true to the way Worf had developed over Deep Space Nine. And also, Deep Space Nine has made Worf yeah. his, you know, they, they've they made him their character. And yeah, they're yeah. able to say, you know what, we're going to send him off and be the ambassador now. And, and that's not exactly, like, the funnest job in the world. <laughs> I don't think that Worf is going to have a good time. Uh, yeah, but... And I don't been... really care that Worf is not going to have a good time, because <laughs> I don't like Worf.
0: Well, I think, you know, Martok and he are... Are going to figure out how to make the best of it again. You know, Martok's. You know, one of his you know, lines when he becomes chancellor is like, "Oh, you know, finally I have an ambassador I can wrestle a targ with." You know, he he's neither of them are having fun with this. This isn't you know what their dream is, but I think they're going to figure out a way to make it. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're 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 going to have a very different view of what chancellor and ambassador means.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and and I mean, okay, so. At the end of the day, is there anything in the finale that or in the show I guess that that you think that the finale whiffed or dropped or or does this feel as satisfying as you wanted it to feel?
0: It's a hard question to answer, I have to say. I mean, in some ways, I felt like the end, you know, Section 31 and the Paw Wraiths thing, you know, those weren't as well done. They're, you know, All Good Things didn't have any bits that I didn't like about it mm-hmm. in a way. And so on that level, it, you know, felt more like a thing. This, um, And yet as much as I am left with certain questions, um, it feels very resolved. Like this is an ending, you know, this is you know, the book is closed and it's put down. And even if there's going to be some sequel seasons in the books, it's they told the story I think they wanted to tell.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that they really did. And I think that Deep Space Nine as a whole is a, a very remarkable piece of work. Yeah. And, you know, even even in the fact that the finale I think is really – it's a two-part finale. I mean, yeah. they, they deal with the Dominion War. The war is over by like forty, you know, minute forty-five, and then they they transition over into the goodbye slash. Okay, let's deal with the profits and the paw rates part of it, which I think is less successful. But yeah, uh, you know, it's just little things like the scene when Cisco, Admiral Ross, and Martok are on mm. Cardassia, and they are surrounded by the, the decimated ruins of whatever city they're in. And they're, I mean, we don't see any dead bodies. I don't think, but we know they're there. And, you know, Martok is, is happy and drinking and Admiral Ross and Cisco are both just not into this at all. And, yeah, they've that, been talking this entire time
0: about, we're right. gonna, you know, we're going to celebrate with blood wine when we're on Cardassian. It's going to be a nice reunion for the three of us, and it's yeah.
1: But it's such a nice scene because it really does speak both to all of the characterizations, even in a character like Admiral Ross, who we, we didn't see that much, and 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 the differences between humans and Klingons, and yeah. the fact that Martok, of course, would be happy at this. You know, this was a glorious battle, and these Cardassians died in the service of. Whatever, and now they're in yeah. Stovokor, whatever the Cardassian equivalent is, and and it's not, you know, the the Klingon thing about not mourning. You know, you're 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 happy that that this happened, and that's not how humans think.
0: And yet, I don't think that the, I don't know if the Cardassians who died died gloriously because they die, They didn't die in a glorious battle. There.
1: Well, that's not what the, I'm saying. I think that's no, what Martok. Thinks.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I I guess what I'm saying is there's a. You know, it's his his viewpoint is wrinkled by the fact that it wasn't, you know, certainly the ones who, you know, s- s- certainly he could, you know, feel that way about the Jemadar soldiers and, you know, the Cardassians yeah. were actively fighting, but the, you know, the civilians who were just in their houses and being yeah, oh, sure. blown up by the Jem'Hadar, you know, I think that's where, you know, and, and that's who Cisco and Ross are thinking about, I think. That's who they are more focusing on and Martok is focusing on the conquest and that he's they've defeated the dominion.
1: Yeah. I think that's true. And, and I don't know, I guess, I mean, I don't know that there's much else to say about the last episode. I just think that I don't want to stop talking because it means we're going to be done talking about deep space. Nine.
0: Yeah. And maybe that was the, that's the reason I didn't, you know, I, I, if I, if I feel left out or let down or disappointed by this, it's because, like it's like i remember when i read jonathan strange and mr norrell i hated the ending because it ended i would would have read another 3000 pages of that you know i would watch another 7 seasons of this show if this were just the you know I, I i i even though this is the best place that they could leave it you know
1: well that's i mean i think that's the the thing really i mean you know we started off this episode talking about star trek as a whole the franchise as a whole kind of the differences between deep space nine and the other series and I, I think that, you know, certainly the original series ended prematurely, although I don't know that yeah. it um I don't know that we were left really wanting more because the third season was was, you know, pretty weak as a whole.
0: Yeah, and they probably you know would not have made a finale episode given the way TV was at the yeah, time they just even didn't if they had known that.
1: Yeah, they just didn't do that kind of stuff back then. But TNG all good things, it's a great episode. It's a it's a wonderful way for the show to go out. It's one of the best episodes of television I think ever made. But it's it doesn't leave you wanting more. Like TNG was, it was time for TNG to go, and it's arguable whether or not it was time for DS9 to go. But I think that the show leaves you wanting more, and it yeah. does a really good job of of hinting at what that future path would have looked like. Well,
0: we, actually, this is clarifying something because you, you you've said several times, you know, TNG is more than the sum of its parts, which I agree with, and I think. All Good Things elevates the entire series by its um by being such a beautiful and you know affirmation mess and all of those things. What you leave behind doesn't elevate DS9 because it doesn't really need to be elevated in that way, I would say. Yeah, um it, yeah. it already it, it's 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 of the level of quality of the entire series, which is not to say that All Good Things is so much better than any TNG episode. There are so many. I mean, it's it's a legitimately great show. Um, but yeah, they TNG is an episodic series, and we're going to save the best episode for last. Uh, DS nine is a serialized series, and we're going to give a good ending and a resolved ending to that. I think that's what the purposes of the two finales were.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I and I think I think I agree with that, and also the the fact is, you know. They're, they're very different shows and they were doing very different things. Yeah. And I think they were very successful.
0: Yeah, they both succeeded in doing, again, and for, I mean, further proving the versatility of the concept. If, you know, for TNG, they were worried about, you know, is having the same exact concept down to the name of the ship, but with a different crew going to work? You know, can right. we do that? And, you know, again, DS9 is taking it even further afield from there and still being a massive success.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to miss it. I mean, you know, yeah. I've seen this show. I think this is probably the the fourth time I've watched the whole thing through. And, you know, before that, it had been probably like three years since the last time I watched it the whole way through. And I really enjoyed watching it this time. I mean, I always really enjoy watching it, but it's it's really just such a remarkable piece of work in so many ways. And yeah, some of it is messy and, you know, we've criticized it when it needed to be criticized. Um, you know, especially with things like section 31 and, and the paw rates and, and, and some other plot lines, but profit and lace <laughs> profit and lace. Yeah. But on the whole, I think that, you know, I'm loath to say that this is the highest that star Trek ever goes, you know, Voyager, I think will be a slog at some points, but, Voyager also has a lot of interesting problems, and Voyager also does have some really, really good episodes and you know I, I don't know where uh, that I don't know where that's going to go, but I think that I, I, where no one has <laughs> gone before, obviously, duh. well, I think what I'm getting at is is the concept of this show, you know, um, almost five years ago, <laughs> oh God, which is like what the fuck. Uh, Sometimes I feel surprised it was only that long. I know. Well, it was it was a lifetime ago that we were on the completely other end of the country. <laughs> we were, and when we were recording all good things, I was about to leave, and you were staying in New York, and and now we're both yeah. here, and it's weird, you know, because we never expected that would be the case. I mean, that's I mean, Deep Space Nine. You know, maybe we'll all come together again mm-hmm. at some point. Who knows? Da, da, but da. you know, the concept of this show was always, you know, Star Trek fan, Trekkie. And a non-Star Trek fan, you know, looking at the show, seeing if you can get something out of it, seeing if you're going to enjoy it. And this is the fourth complete series we finished. We have... <laughs> we kind get about animated. Yeah, I know. We have, we have three more to go because of Star Trek wow. Discovery, which was completely not my plan at all when we started this show
0: it, it, was it even in talks when we started this show like it, no no one had thought yeah no, i i it don't... wasn't
1: it wasn't announced until 2015 <laughs> um wow that w- what i'm saying richard is that i am ready to declare you a truck
0: oh <gasps> i've graduated I feel like I don't necessarily want to say that complete until I've seen it all, but I'm very happy for this. I think
1: I think you get Star Trek now, and I think that you really have come to appreciate oh. it. And I think you're ready to See the crappy parts of it. Yeah. I mean <laughs> no. honestly though, I, I think that you are because Voyager and Enterprise certainly are not the strongest of the shows. I mean TNG and DS9 are, are head and shoulders, yeah. you know, much better than both of those series. But they do have their charms, and I don't think that you can watch them if you don't love Star Trek. And I think yeah. at this point you if you if you don't love Star Trek, you're having an affair with it. And <laughs> so I think you're ready to watch those. Yeah, no. It, you have the context, you have the knowledge. I can see the ugly parts and still love it. Cuz yeah. I,
0: I remember it was hard it was a hard fight. I think It's. I don't quite love all of the original series. I like our 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 friend Wes Teasdale runs the podcast, uh, the Penske Files, which we've guested on a few times. He's uh, planning on doing the original series, and I think he's picking like two dozen episodes or something like yeah, they, that. I think
1: it, he's already released a couple okay. of episodes of it. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's doing a select handful, and if I were you know, I like. There's that select handful, or more than a handful, but there's that batch of episodes, that is really great, you know, uh, beautiful television, that you can see why this, and then there's some, you know, the first few episodes of the original series aren't great, most of season three isn't great, it has more, you know, it wasn't until TNG I started really appreciating it, and I think DS9 is when I... I really did love the series.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a you know it's also a really exciting time again because we've got a new series coming, um, whenever the fuck it's actually yeah. going to be released, who knows? We we've got um, you know two more '90s Star Trek, even though Enterprise was completely in the first decade of the 21st century, yeah. but it's still kind of '90s Star Trek. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, the, the Abrams movies as well, the reboot movies to, to go through. And so it's going, you know, there's still so much out there that that you're going to find out about Star Trek. You know, this is not certainly over by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I, I think the original um, the original ending date for for Trek about was was November of 2019. Oh and um, that's being extended, of course, because we've got Star it's Trek clever, Discovery yeah. to deal with. But, and there may be there's well there may it, be more movies I think yeah. they're in talks to make another
0: one It won't extend you know and'll extend it a week or two, but still,
1: but um you know I think to 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 bring it back to to deep space nine I think the other reason why I appreciate the show so much is that uh it did not it did not wear its welcome and destroy its reputation yeah. the way that t n g did with the t n g movies mm. uh which we will find out next week, oh no, as we go into Star trek insurrection uh But I I think it's a good place to leave what you leave behind and and leave Deep Space Nine. And and I think we're ready to to soldier on and and start another series. I'm ready to meet Captain Jane away. (laughs) And and
0: oh my god i'm two weeks away from meeting tuvok you are oh my god oh my god i'm so excited this is not going to be a letdown in any way this is going to be one of the greatest moments of my life i am 100 sure and certain of it it will be all i talk about for months
1: i am not going to say anything about that whatsoever we're just gonna have to see how it goes i think that's it richard We did it. We finished Deep Space Nine. But
0: no, I'm not finished with Deep Space Nine. For like the baseball in Ben's office, it's still in my heart. Very true. A part of me will always remain on Deep Space Nine.
1: Very well said. Well, if you have any thoughts on what you leave behind Deep Space Nine as a whole, Star Trek as a whole, maybe even holes in general, you dig in a hole in your basement, who knows? Leave us a comment trekaboutshow.com you can check out our patreon patreon.com slash Show, which uh, supports this podcast and our other podcast tuning in as we said much earlier in this epic double feature podcast Ooh. of Trek about, Uh tuning in in two days we are launching into our third series we're going to be doing the x-files uh, going to be talking about pi- the pilot and deep throat uh, which is not a <laughs> sexual reference so don't get excited uh, and, and I think that uh, that's going to be really good I'm I'm, I'm proud of uh, the work that we're doing on the X-Files so please I'm proud of you Aww, I'm proud of you Aww. so go over to tuninginshow.com and check that out and then you can also uh, give us a little bit of money at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow uh, including if you give us five dollars a month or more you can get our patron specials every month the one that we just released for March was on the documentary that Adam Nimoy Leonard Nimoy's son made For the Love of Spock wow bringing it back around to Spock again. Mm. Social media, we are on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Trek about show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek about, especially now that we have completed our fourth series. We need some help because we're all very sad right now that deep space nine is over mm. and, and a review would make us happy.
0: Yeah. We need some, uh, or, or if you want to send us some, uh gold press platinum, that would be happy too. I'll take it. Yeah. Well,
1: Richard... Self-sealing stem bolts, whatever you got. <laughs> this is this is it. This is going to make it real. Next week, we are going to be talking about the third TNG movie, Star Trek Insurrection. Why does it feel like I haven't watched any TNG movies? Well, we've only seen two of them. I know, but four. like I... I...
0: I have to remember that, like, oh, yeah, I've seen two movies already. Have you, Richard? Have you seen movies? I've apparently
1: blocked them from my mind. (gasps) Yeah, so next week we're doing Star Trek Insurrection. It'll be a little bit of a revisit back to the TNG crew. And then the next week we'll be launching into Star Trek Voyager. So (laughs) it's a good time to tell all your friends, relatives, and enemies about Trek About. Yes, tell Donald Trump. Don't do that. No, I would appreciate if he RT'd it. (laughs)
0: listen he's helping all of his friends in wall street why doesn't he help his enemies
1: working this podcast all right fair enough that would be in the spirit of star trek